Thanks for tuning into the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Flora. On this week's episode, I spoke with Jen Harper, the founder and CEO of Cheekbone Beauty. In 2021, Cheekbone became the first Indigenous-owned brand to be sold at Sephora after it entered Sephora Canada. It has since expanded to the U.S. via 13 Loon. As part of our Earth Month coverage, Jen described her approach to sustainability and got candid about the costs and challenges that go into packaging innovation as an indie startup. The interview starts now. Jen, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you. So, Jen, we always like to talk to brand founders about how they got started in the beauty industry. You launched Cheekbone Beauty in 2016, but before that, you were actually in the seafood industry. How did that lead you into beauty? Yeah, it is not your traditional transition, I think, into beauty founder space, but I had a career in the food industry for for almost all of my my career starting in hospitality and then into marketing and sales in in broadline distribution and then finally in just specifically in seafood. The the path, it, albeit completely strange and unbelievable at times, is it was really exciting. And when I look back, I think um, being a bit naive has been super helpful on this journey for sure. But I had an actual like pop out of bed middle of the night dream in January of 2015. I wake up and I remember native little girls with their brown little skin and rosy little cheeks covered in lip gloss and they were giggling and laughing. And that is literally what I remember from that dream. I grabbed my laptop and I started writing out like, okay, I want to figure out how to make a lip gloss and then adding how to start a foundation in honor of my grandmother. And so we got to rewind a little bit because a really important piece to the to my story and the brand story is not only um, my sobriety journey. So literally two months prior to that dream, November 26, 2014, I got sober and I had battled alcoholism. And it was like this, you know, I, I think the traditional story of addiction, it was a huge battle for my life in this like deep, dark moments. Um, and then at the same time, after newly getting sober, I was learning about my grandparents' experience at residential or boarding school. And so as an Ojibwe woman, and like many tribes across North America, when colonization happened in, in this continent, um, there were people here and what government and church at the time were trying to figure out was how to uh, assimilate Native Americans or Native people or First Peoples into a more European way of life and culture and lifestyle. And so they created these boarding school systems, removed the children from their families. Um, but what ended up happening is actually the negative side effects that we still see to this to this very day. And so when I learned that that was my grandparents' experience and I now had a name, like I couldn't understand um, for most of my life. I'm like, why does my family feel like they have all of these problems? But um, yeah, so that happened and I'm on this, like, I look back now and I'm like, it was clearly like such a raw, emotional, like healing part of my life and then have this dream. And so I was like, became like hell bent on figuring out 
to how I'm going to start this beauty brand. And um, it's kind of funny now. I was sharing this not too long ago with someone else. And I said, like, most people, if you were to go tell them that I was selling fish, and then imagine this, I'm talking to friends and family, and I'm like, yeah, I'm starting this beauty company, and this is the idea, and this is what's going to happen. And, and I realize now, I think, and thankfully almost, I was newly sober because I think my family was just like, okay, she's not drinking. Like, let's let her just work on this thing that she thinks she's working on. Um, Because if I'm thinking about myself and someone I know and someone they were doing and they're starting this whole new thing, maybe now as a sort of a person who loves building off ideas would be like, that's really exciting. But I think for the most part, like caring family and friends are a little bit cautious of what you're doing and why you're doing it. And so I really equate a lot of the success of this business one because of this journey that I've been on personally and reconnecting with my culture and my family and then also understanding um, sometimes when you don't know anything about an industry maybe that's the most interesting place to start that's amazing and tell me about the concept of the brand you incorporate aspects of your culture into the brand did you want to talk about how that came about Yeah. So, you know, I think we didn't have, you know, now we, of course, have had branding agencies and creative agencies and teams of marketing people supporting us and building out our brand guide and and, and deck to what it is today. And so Cheekbone Beauty is three pillars. One, it is based on our Indigenous roots, my Indigenous roots as the founder, as an Anishinaabe woman um, from the Ojibwe tribe. And a lot of um, teachings that have passed, been passed down through generations within our communities. And then secondly, um, being sustainable by nature. And I've, I've said this before, Indigenous people, um, I believe, are the OGs of sustainability. And if you think of our way of living, our ways of knowing and being, as we call it in in, in my Anishinaabemowin language, um, it is this idea that we have passed through through generations in time that we really have this unique respect and honor for all living things which includes our earth and how we use the and how we use the gifts and bounty that are found on it i try to avoid the word resources because i think um there uh, it gets misused so many times and then thirdly we wanted to be like bold color in this clean using air quotes because we know how convoluted that category is. There's no regulatory or compliant body defines that. And as a brand and business, we've defined what clean means for us and um, based on my culture as well. But um, bringing bold, clean color that's efficacious to this category. It's been a very like millennial muted mint green white space for so long. And we were like, no, nature is just loaded with bold pigment. We can see that in flora and fauna everywhere. So let's bring that into the brand. And so those are the the three pillars that we've built the brand on. And do you want to go back to the very early days of the brand and talk about what it was like getting that off the ground? (laughs) Yeah. um, Oh, it's, it's, it's almost comical when I think about it now, but so that for that, after that dream, this is me for the next two years, I literally would read um, so many books. I read over a hundred books in two years, one on indigenous culture, because I was reconnecting um, with my family and my my culture and two on entrepreneurs who have built businesses and like marketing strategy and, you know, what is the, you know, best financial strategies and, you know, and, and how other people have built companies. And I, I just became this sponge for the next two years. 
and then also would set out on like going to see how was I going to get this lipstick made. Turns out, you know, in this globalized world, it, it certainly wasn't as hard as as one might think to have a product made. There's so many what we call um, private or white label manufacturers that will just you can put a product into the world. They're going to put your logo on it, and then you can call it a day. And and um, learning that it wasn't as hard to start as I once thought. Um, that's how we had to start at Cheekbone Beauty. And so we had found someone based in the the our area actually that was um, a private label manufacturer. And the reason we ended up having to work with them was one, you know, they were local to our area, but at the same time they were offering like really low minimums. And so again, starting this brand with no experience and no money. So like, uh, um, this was how we had to do it. And when I think back, if, if, if I knew everything I knew now, I certainly would not start a brand that way. I would have wanted to start the brand that we've created now um, and put that into the world first because I think we've confused, you know, it can be super confusing for your customers and your community, but we've had this incredible community come along on this journey with us because we've been so transparent about, we're like, oh, and we didn't know what the other options were or if there were other options for us at the time, we just certainly couldn't afford them. And now here's where you're like, who's ever going to invest in a business? One, that the founder doesn't have any clue what she's doing and doesn't know anything about the beauty industry. She's not coming from a position at a big beauty brand. And I wasn't an influencer or a celebrity. So there was no way anyone was going to invest any money in this. And so that's how we had to start. But I found it to be um, just super interesting and going back, of course, I'd love to do things differently, but I think I've learned so much from just starting things that way and like literally being super scrappy about how we were going to build and just started learning about, um, and then, you know, as we launch and we realize, okay, so, you know, I do all this work and we finally have the website ready and the brand goes live, um, November 26, 2016. And it's like a D2C brand. So you're like, okay, no, one. like, <laughs> Who's visiting this website that no one's even heard of? And then just started um, really using the power of social media. So we were definitely a, a brand built on social media in those early days when um, all of those algorithms were working for us as small businesses back then. Um, but built this community of what we call our cheap home warriors really, really quickly. And I think that's pretty powerful for someone who's not been in the industry. I just started to see, oh, wow, people really want this brand to exist. Um, and the I think the, the results were in the revenues we were generating. Like that first year, remember, this is I'm selling fish. That's my full-time day job. I'm a mom. I'm a wife. And I would only be working at this at, at nights and on the weekends. And I would come home and, you know, um, wrap up the orders in this little corner in my basement and we, we in those early days, it was from that minimum quantity orders, taking pictures of those products, put, putting them up on the website, selling them, and then using that money, you know, the typical, like, I think, bootstrapping story where you're like, sell the product, buy a little bit more and do that. And then um, it was in 2017. And we started having like beauty editors in, in our in Canada that were really interested in talking to us and a lot of media attention. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like if people really, I felt like we're not even a real business because we're at this little tiny space in my basement. Um, and that's when I started to think a, a little bit bigger about like, how could we possibly be bringing not only like, of course, being Indigenous owned 
that that was new to the market. But I, I really did know that we needed to be really unique and really separate from what exists in the beauty space because it's highly competitive. And I've uh, I've said this before that the world didn't need another lipstick brand and started to rethink that. And then had at my first meeting after applying for the Sephora Accelerator Program in 2018 with Sephora's team. And that's where I just realized, whoa, okay, we have a lot of work to do. Um, They were like brutally honest, but in a good way where I was like, okay, no, this, we cannot grow this brand using private white label. We have to figure out how to bring some uniqueness to the space. Yeah, so tell me about the fundraising process that you've been through. You went on the Canadian show Dragon's Den at one point for our American listeners that's similar to Shark Tank. What was that like and what has the fundraising process been like in general? Yeah, something that I'm truly horrible at for sure when I think about it now. Um, You know, I've actually, when I think about listening to your podcast, over and listening to other like beauty executives and founders and like, wow, they know they were like, they really knew what they were doing. And I just recognize, I think how um, naive I truly was. Um, But yeah, the fundraising, it's not like I knew I needed to write, like I'm really green when it, when it comes to being an entrepreneur. And so I didn't realize one, how much money I was honestly going to need to like build this, you know, where I came up with the number, um, was listening to another podcast with, I think, a beauty founder, Emily Weiss of Glossier, when some with the investors we work with today said, how much money do you think you need? I'm like, two million. And it, that was only because I heard her say it. And that, and she was guessing too at the time when she had told her. So who knows what you're going to need? But it's it, it really is roughly around that number when I think about it now. Um, so we never set out looking for money. So we did this accelerator program. I realized in that moment, and then after starting to get questions from our customers about the products we were selling, packaging, and I didn't have one answer. Think about it. This is not technically my product or Cheekbone Beauty's product. This is a white private label. Somebody else has done this. Somebody else has built this. They built those. They they created those formulations. They chose that packaging. All they have done is put our name on it. Um, and then there was another brand that came out at the in the early days, I think just after we did using the exact same private labeler. And that's when I knew I'm like, oh, my goodness, like any anybody can do this, like anybody with half a brain can figure out how to start a, a beauty brand. And I'm not I hope I'm not saying this to like insult any of us, but it really because I was so naive, I don't think I realized how easy it really was until until I did. Um, and so then that happened. And then meeting with Sephora they were like, okay, yeah, no, anyone can do this. And then started to see, oh, they're not wrong. Yes, anyone can. Um, but I had this idea and not being able to answer those questions like really started to irritate me. I'm like, how does this manufacturer or partner we're working with, why can't they tell me anything? Why is everyone so secretive about ingredients and where they're coming from? You know, now that I'm in it, I know exactly why, because some things are really, really um not regulated in, in so many ways and depends on where in the world things are coming from. But that that's the, an entirely different podcast and conversation. Um, so after meeting with Sephora's team and staying in contact with their VP of merchandising in Canada was such a blessing in um, where I realized this idea and this vision that I had for the brand that I wanted to exist in the world that and and then knew, okay, I need a ton of money and to make that happen. And 
just so happened. Like, this is where when, you know, people ask, like, it's just timing sometimes, like, got so, so lucky with timing. There's a, a our, our investors are called Raven Capital. They are the first Indigenous investment fund in the world. And they were starting up basically at the same time we were. And they had reached out because they saw how much attention we were getting um, from our, our media here in Canada. And then also we happened to be both at the same event in Ottawa. And I was speaking on a panel um, and one of the founders said, hey, you know, we're just starting out. We're really this close. Let's stay in touch because I think we could help you with funding. And I'm like, okay, that sounds great. Not even having really a clue what that meant stayed in contact, met one of their other partners that was based in Vancouver. And we started like communicating back and forth. We met up in Toronto for dinner a couple of times. And then it was just about to apply and um, audition for Dragon's Den. And they came back with a term sheet. And I was, you know, you blown away. And I'm, it, it's, it was really exciting because I'm like, oh, wow, because these people were believing in this idea of building a sustainable brand, or we like to say now sustainably minded brand, because nothing is like definitive when it comes to sustainability. Um, and when I started telling them about these ideas for packaging and actually like making the formulations and wanting to build our own like indigenous innovation lab and hire scientists um, and have our own chemists, like I, I never thought anyone would listen to me when I would start. These were like my ideas and all of like the sort of the vision board and like business plan charts that and spreadsheets I was making that I never thought anyone would believe in. And then they started to listen and they were like, no, we think this sounds amazing. And we think that next step. And, and they're like, do you, how how expensive do you think this is, is could be? And that's when I had to get serious about, OK, if it doesn't have to be that two million, what could I do to prove the concept? Right. Like if anyone's going to love love this idea. And so I made this plan that we were just going to make the lipstick first called Sustain Lipstick. And that happened. We finally um, launched that in March of 2020, which is the beginning of the pandemic. But that early days working with Raven and them believing in us and giving us, I think it was $350,000 as just what they call a convertible, convertible debt, like a loan basically, but hopefully converts into equity and um, it was just something that I never knew existed. And so I have this deal, this term sheet, and then I do the taping and recording for Dragon's Den. And this was my third time trying out. I got rejected from that show three times, just as I got rejected from the Sephora Accelerator program. So for anybody that's, you know, knows this, it, this space of being an entrepreneur, there's lots of rejection and you just learn to get used to it. And I think grow from it is the most important part. But, um, so have the term sheet. Then I go on do the show. And uh, I told them I wasn't going to say yes to the term sheet until the show because I was still in fairy tale and envisioning one of these, you know, business icons being like, yes, I believe in this too. And here's all this money. Who's the, here's the two million to do it. That didn't happen, of course. Got a really terrible offer that I got to turn down. Um, but the the show, the process, everything was amazing. It was the first time I've ever like 
pitched my business to investors, which is really hard to do because I don't even know how to speak that language. Like this was oh, a completely new experience, but they were so gracious, so kind. I was in the the studio with them for like an hour. So learned a lot just by asking them questions as well and left there. And then you still wait to find out if you make it on air. And then they the producers got back to us. And so we were in episode one of their season 14, which was amazing because um, it was their premiere night. And it was the beginning of uh, anyone who wants to do Shark Tank. If, if I would highly recommend it because it's a marketing, uh, a marketer's dream for sure. Because you can use it for so long, and and it, and it really was a great way to create brand awareness. That's literally, I think, how our brand grew in the in that in 2019 going into 2020. Um, up until now, we just have always seen growth and it was just an amazing experience. Um, and then Raven's grown with us. They're now um, a full-on investment partner. And what did I do the calculate? I was, I was doing something the other day and I think they've given us, I think almost $2 million now <laughs> we're up to. So we're, we're that, that money you do need and you will use it, especially when you're launching into retail, but we have so much more to get into there for sure. I wanted to get into the sustainability because obviously we're recording this in March, but this will be running during Earth Month. And you have a lot of really interesting packaging concepts with your products. You have a magnetic swappable package. You have the lipsticks and the cardboard. Did you want to talk about how much investment that took to develop those sustainable alternatives for packaging? Yeah. So when it comes to trying to create sustainable packaging, I think what I've learned and I think the best advice you can give is that there is no black and white. And especially, I think, when it comes to formulations, like you're dealing with powders, creams, things that contain oils, um, you know, learning how porous paper really is. When we launched our primer, we did the primer stick in 100% PCR mono materials for the whole unit because it needed a threaded seal because if air gets at this water being the first ingredient in the primer stick because water is the actual only way to bring hydration to your skin we needed that material to make sure it was sealed properly and that air couldn't get at it um well it well it was just sitting without being used and so every decision when it comes to packaging is based on first of our fall, our core values is our brand. So using my Anishinaabe roots, we use what we call our seven grandfather teachings as the basis of, of our brand. Then we combine those into what we call our company's core values. And then we use a concept called um, two-eyed seeing. And this is an idea that was coined by an elder um, in the East Coast of Canada and it's this concept where you think not only using Western science, but also indigenous wisdom and indigenous knowledge to make and create our products, but you're like marrying the two concepts. Um, and so taking that, we use life cycle thinking or life cycle analysis. So that's the idea. I believe it was built out at the University of Portugal, where it's like from literally the harvesting of the raw ingredients to the end of the life of the products and everything in between. And end of life for us became really important to think about because we don't want things that we put into the world to end up in a landfill to the best of our ability. So that's what we're, we're trying to like work backwards from that point to not make that happen. So using that concept, 
called two-eyed seeing, where we think about all of those steps in in between. So from literally harvesting to end of life. And for us, it was this idea of like, how do we not have things end up in a landfill? And to make that happen, then work backwards on the process, right? And and then this became really apparent, you know, in those early days when I was asking questions to those early partners that did not have answers or did not want to provide them. And so raw ingredients, not only is that about packaging, but it's also about the formulations themselves and how biodegradable the ingredients that we're putting into our products. But packaging is so important. We've learned um, certainly no silver bullet and that each product that we make has a different reason why the packaging is the way it is. We've just launched something really new for us. It was really a massive, massive investment. Um, And it's this idea that for refillability to us, is the new recyclability. And the reason we did this was because we recycling is such just surrounded by huge misconceptions, no matter where you are in the world. And I, and I know every region has their own waste management systems, but for the most part, um, the science is now showing and the data is showing that only about 5% of the items that we put in those bins that we think items are getting recycled actually gets recycled. So 95% of that is ending up in a landfill. So how can we be part of the preventing that, um, you know, biodegradability, compostability, and then refillability, we think is a great solution. And so that's why we've just launched um, this refillable lipstick and gloss that's only available with Sephora Canada. Yeah. And you have the magnetic pans as well. Did you want to talk about that palette? Because I've seen this a little bit in the industry. It's so interesting in such a new format. Talk about the development for that as well. Yeah, just this idea of you're going to have a palette, um, you know, instead of collecting a bazillion palettes, why not have one where you can just add the colors that you want regularly to it? I think we all have favorites, you know, and we're certainly we know what kind of brand and what lane we're in. We're, you know, obviously like skin loving no makeup, makeup with bold pops of color. Like that's what we, how we think about ourselves as a brand. And so we've curated these palettes to to make sense for our community and our customer. Um, and you know, hope to grow. Obviously, shade ranges, but as small businesses, shade range is extremely expensive. And so that's why we're always like we're testing everything for us as a startup is is automatically a test. Like test, retest, and test again. And we want to see what works. Um, you know, a really scary part is we've are we put this investment into refillability and we started this project, I think, in 2020. Um, when I'm going back in my mind and, and investing the dollars into these component trees and um then realizing, you know, you see huge organizations like Fenty launch a refillable item at Sephora. And now that doesn't even exist on the shelf anymore at Sephora. So you're, I was like getting, you get really nervous, right? And then I'm thinking, well, maybe the Fenty audience doesn't care about refillability, but the audience we have created and built will, and maybe this, this investment won't blow up in our faces at the end of the day, but we're trying. And I think that, you know, as a sustainably minded brand and business, the whole, um, sort of method to our madness is we have to try like everything we do is like we have to try it because there is um there is there is data that's showing that these are the ways to become more sustainable end of the day hands down we are cpg i say personally i buy less 
like there's there's some answers that are these are how we're going to become more sustainable as a society and it's really this idea of obviously overconsuming is part of the problem and so i certainly believe at my core that less is is better and and so it, it's about understanding that at the same time and obviously you touched on this a little bit but to have these unconventional packaging formats and materials it is more expensive. So how much more of an investment is that than if you just went the more conventional route? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I'm being completely green and new in this industry, I can tell you I had no idea that like the components actually cost more than the raw ingredients. And that in fact is true. And then if you're looking at componentry, one that is more luxurious, or I've learned brands actually add weight, right? Inside their lipstick cases or um, whatever it may be, whatever product foundation, and they want it to be heavy because that meant luxury back in the day. I think we're now learning, you know, I used to be so proud of, um, I remember when we we tr- when we uh, launched our our biodegradable paper lipstick bullets, I was so happy of how light they were, right? And I'm thinking, um, so it's, it's a different view. It's a different way of looking at things. Um, but it is a huge investment and and it is a big risk. And gratefully, we have investment partners that have joined us on this journey, uh, you know, and we being both Indigenous led, I think, has played a big role into how much we're really working hard at trying to protect the planet. Um, and, you know, this is our only home. So we're, we're doing the best that we can with the knowledge and information we have at this time, completely understanding that we're imperfect human beings trying to trying to work on this massive problem. And did you want to talk about your marketing strategy for getting the message out there about sustainability and incorporating this into your branding? Yeah, certainly. (laughs) Probably the thing that keeps me up the most is is because um, I think in our, our industry, well, probably most, marketing teams love one word. They love like easy, digestible bites of information. And when you start talking about sustainably minded business and brands and and product development, it is not easily digestible. It is not black and white, as I mentioned earlier. And I think that's the struggle with us as humans. We love black and white. We want to know if this is right or wrong um, and hearing the reasons why. And you know what has been, I think, the biggest um, eye-opener for me, and, and it's been such an educational experience is working with scientists. You will never get our our scientists on our team. You'll never get our chemist, Alexandra, to say 100% yes or no to just about anything because science doesn't work that way. And I think we need to truly understand that as a society. And tell me about the Sephora launch. So you launched in Sephora Canada in 2021. What did that mean for your brand's visibility? Oh, wow. Yeah, that was like when I, I we just had, a, you know, an update to our launch with Sephora and we've been growing with them. So this is incredible. But those early days when I thought about it yesterday, seeing our display now to the, the like launching just online with them in September 2021. And then in November 2021, we went into like 
five stores, their flagship stores here in Canada, with one lipstick for a campaign called Write the Story, which was just an incredibly beautiful experience to not only one to be able to make a national commercial um, and work on this campaign that was like 95% Indigenous led between directors and producers and actors and models and anyone involved was an amazing experience. And then have to Sephora back it um, and promote it with us was amazing. And then we found out them in June of 2022, we went into 15 stores in Canada and Sephora had never done this, but they made these special podiums that would be placed in each of these 15 stores. And then we now had five items. So they they sort of wanted the sample of all of uh, the categories that we had available on Sephora.com. And so that went in. Um, and then we realized, I think together, Sephora and Cheekbone Beauty, like um, one, these are in different locations in every store. They don't necessarily fit well and work well in every store because we're adding to their floor plans and it doesn't and so it, it it wasn't the greatest because it was only 15 stores as well. So there, you couldn't we couldn't work these and fit these in all locations here. Um, and then they came back to us in the summer and said, we're going to put you um, in 52 locations with 26 items on the what the next big thing shelf in, in makeup. And so that just happened this week, which is really exciting. And so to see this growth with them has been incredible. Um, it's been an amazing experience to work with such a an incredible organization in the sense of like you just they're they're in this space. They know I've learned so much. We've learned as a business, as a startup with them and sort of they've been guiding us and um, helping us along the way. And it's just been amazing. And I think. For me personally, when I go back to the why I started the company, um, you know, those native little girls covered in lip gloss, I think about this experience. So we had this launch with them in June and we did this campaign at that time called Hashtag Glossed Over. And we got to go visit all the Sephora locations and which was really beautiful. And so Sephora had paid for this huge um, um like banner billboard inside one of the malls in downtown Toronto. And it's a mall that's like from the basement to the ceiling, you can see the outside. And it was just, it was like the size of a transport truck. And I walked in the mall that morning and I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is crazy. It's like our branding, our picture and cheekbone now available at Sephora. And I was thinking about as a little girl going in there and just never in a million years imagining that I would have a brand that's available in, in a store like Sephora ever. That Those thoughts never crossed my mind. And when um, we had the event that night, this little girl who's also Anishinaabe comes in um, with her mom and her brother and her auntie. And she was just, she already had this confidence that I know I didn't have at her age. And her brother and her were like bickering about how TikTok famous they are. And they were just so cute, right? And so I'm getting, I'm driving home and it like hit me like this is why representation matters so much. When I when I think about those two kids, they're never now going to question. They could just come up and be and do whatever they want. And 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 having someone that looks like them come from a community like them that's already built something in a store like Sephora, I honestly 
I know how powerful it is. And I felt at that moment, I'm like, this is why representation matters so much um, for, for so many of our communities that have been underrepresented for so long. Uh, it, it, it's for the children and it's for these next generations because who knows what these kids are going to imagine and build and make and create because they're seeing people that look like them do it. And that's why it, it's so important. And then, you know, having that be the foundation of our brand back in those early days, like the whole, our mission and vision is still like helping every Indigenous person see themselves but also at the same time, we're making clean, sustainable products that don't end up in a landfill that look beautiful on every human. And um, I, I, when I have those moments where I get to go back to our roots and why we started, it's it's a really powerful experience. And I think um, this is the community that we have built, not only, um, you know, uh, obviously a, a wonderful Indigenous community around us, but it's so many non-Indigenous people that are real allies to to the mission of of helping us see ourselves, which I think that is super, super special. And then obviously Sephora is leaning really heavily into clean. You are clean at Sephora. You have the designation for that. And Sephora is also investing a lot in bringing on more sustainable brands. How do you think the beauty consumer is changing? Is this getting through to the mainstream beauty consumer or how long do you think that process will take? Yeah, I don't know. I feel, I feel a little bad for us as consumers sometimes because I think we're like overloaded. So definitely we have, we're, we're just um, in the midst of getting that new seal, but we're clean and planet positive because cheekbone also became um, a B Corp certified company uh, in 2022 as well. And so all of these steps that we've done, and I know that we've done all this, the back end, sort of the legwork to like really prove, I call it, we have receipts to, t- to prove that we're doing all of this work, not only, you know, to help environmentally, but also just create companies that, you know, really are trying to make an impact in the world while doing business at the t- same time. And what I love about B Corp their certification is we had to get our lawyers involved. It's like a legal obligation to both people, human beings, and the planet. And I love that that's become part of our mission. And then Sephora, you can see how important it's become because they added the planet positive aspect onto their clean category. And so we're super proud that we have that certification with them now as well. And I think the consumer the consumer wants to do better and the consumer wants to do the right thing. I just feel really... Um, that it's a really tough place to be because unfortunately in this space, there's, you know, we have to be really honest with people and we are super transparent that there, you have to decide who you, you, who you are as a customer. And then I think, you know, the brands that align with your values are the ones that you're going to choose to support along the way. And so um, it's not an easy task for sure. And there's a lot of misinformation and, and then there's a lot of, you know, experts, even quote unquote experts that aren't always providing, you know, um, the full picture, because I think we all come at this through a specific lens, right? There's not one single single um, part of the, 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 the puzzle here that has all the answers. And I think that that's where it gets a little a little cloudy for people. Um, and so just tr- truly trying to be as transparent as we possibly can without giving away how we've done everything. Of course, it's business. Um, there are some, you know, we're not going to tell you where we get every last detail, but we really, we really are open and honest about um, probably to a fault how we do and make all of our things. 
Well, consumers are demanding more transparency these days now as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so we actually have, like, when when you're getting an answer from us, it's coming from our scientists. And, you know, we, as an indie brand, to to have scientists on our team is huge. And I know many indie brands don't have that. It's definitely not in their their P&L. And it it wouldn't reflect positively. And I I struggle and I battle with it as well because it's super expensive. But... um, Cheekbone Beauty is different in the sense that we're, 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 we are actually working on innovation projects. And so if we have these scientists on our team, then they're, we're, we're going we're gonna to get the full use of them. And so they will be a part of helping us with, uh, you know, quality control, uh, quality assurance and, and helping us communicate the correct information to our customers. We just got like you, we get the craziest things because consumers hear something and then they want to know what is up. They've just, you know, apparently sunflower seed oil is told to that it's toxic now, but I think that was coming from the food industry perspective. Like if you ingested it right and ate it regularly and what really mattered from our scientist answer was the fact that if it's surpassed a boiling point. So you've actually heated the oil past beyond a boiling point, which of course is going to create toxicity in the, in the, in the sunflower seed oil, but that's an ingredient in our lip gloss. And they came to us and they're like, you're putting toxic um, ingredients in your products. And, you know, it's misinformation and the consumer is not a scientist. And I can guarantee you most likely wherever they heard this, probably TikTok, um, that person is not a scientist either. And not even sure they could be a scientist, but are they a toxicologist? Like they're not, You there's, we're talking when we talk about science, like how many categories and areas of expertise are there? And there's not one that even our scientist isn't the expert in all of those categories as well. Yeah, that's such an interesting point because consumers are becoming so educated these days. They're reading up so much online, but then there is also so much misinformation out there online, especially about beauty. So it's it's so interesting that you're kind of tackling that head on. Yeah, I, I like that you're using the word interesting because I get super frustrated. They're like, Jen, get off the internet <laughs> all the time. My team is like, get her away from the comment section. <laughs> That's great that you're engaging with the customers, though. Um, So to wrap up, tell us about what's in the pipeline. Do you have any product launches coming up? Is there anything you can reveal about details? Yeah, so we just had this huge refillable um, launch. And there's nothing I can reveal just yet because there are some projects that we're working on. And in particular for us, it's for a very special... um, launch uh, or time of year, which is June in Canada, it's Indigenous Peoples Month. And so we were working on something with Sephora Canada with that, and then something in September as well, which could be very exciting for people. Okay, we'll keep an eye out. And what about retail? Are you planning on any retail launches in the future? What's your plan for a retail footprint? Yes. So now we will be available in the 13 Loon Shop and Shop in the 600 JCPenney locations in the United States. So we're really excited about this. Um, We have a huge U.S. audience that we purposefully started growing from the very early days. And uh, about 40% of our customer base comes from the United States. And so now for them to have a spot because um, people have adored our what we call our unifying multi-pencil, a.k.a. complexion pencil, 
um, is a product that we've been talking about since we launched it, I think in 2020, when did we launch this? 2020 or 20, I feel like everything was 2020, but it wasn't, I think it was 2021. Um, and people just, it's an item that, you know, we're in beauty. People want to try it and feel it. And I know that this is going to be an incredible experience. And just to be in this marketplace, like it is a BIPOC marketplace with so many other incredible indie brands um, and this idea of newness and, you know, being a part of watching like what Nikeo built. I'm fascinated by that as a female founder as well. And just seeing um, the work that her and her partner, I believe a business partner's name is Patrick, that they built this and it's it's coming to life. And so to get to be a part of that where people can come and people of color, like they're, you know, having these shade ranges available to them and products that are like um, created by people that come from communities like them who look like them. It's it's a really, really powerful um, place. And I'm, I'm so excited. I went over to Buffalo to not too long ago when they finished launching that one in it. And it's beautiful. It looks amazing. And so we're so excited to be in. The, it's a lot. That was, I, when I say that, and, and trust me, we've been putting together these orders for these POs for them for the last like four months, it feels like. Um, and these are box sizes that we've never shipped out of our little 2000 square foot headquarters. And that 2000 square feet holds our lab as well. So it's not huge. And we're like, this is six, like, I think 52 stores in Sephora here in Canada, we were like, whoa, that's crazy. And now this is 600. Like, I I feel like we're certainly in a moment here as a brand that is a very expensive moment because <laughs> it's the most money I think we've ever spent on inventory. And, and uh, but we're so ready. We're so ready to grow. We, we feel the love from our community and we can't wait to show the world, like what um, a beautiful culture that I am so proud to be a part of and that Indigenous people really have a lot to offer. And, you know, I think the most important, again, part to me is knowing that there's going to be some Indigenous youth that walks by our shelf space, no matter where they are in the world and says, look, um, if another Indigenous person did that, I can do that. And I think you know, the power of that is if you understood where we come from and, and what this trauma has done to our communities and um, the negative impacts that this is like a this isn't a, a rising up that um, our people need so badly. And I'm so, so proud to have been a part of being um, helping change the narrative. Like, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool for us. Wow. And it's available at 13 Loon now. Yes. So available at 13 Loon's website now, but, and then they are actually building a brick and mortar store on Larchmont in Los Angeles. And then we'll be in these 600 um, shopping shops. Okay. Well, we look forward to seeing that in the state soon. And thank you so much for taking the time to be here today, Jen. And we look forward to seeing what the brand has in store in the future. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning into the Glassy Beauty Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. See you next week.